Great. So we have been in a series uh, in this church, which we are calling The Cost. Um, so we've been looking at the story of Jesus in the book of Matthew in the Bible and um, realizing, I guess, again, that um, to follow Jesus, it takes something. It costs something. Um, Jesus never said that following him would be the easy thing to do. In fact, sometimes it feels like he's trying to put people off it. Um, he wants followers who count the cost. They um, know what it takes, and they're still willing to follow him, um, knowing that it, it will cost them. Matthew's writing to show that Jesus, this guy Jesus who's around, really is the guy who's brought the kingdom of heaven to earth. Um, he really is God. He really is Messiah, like we were singing this morning as well. Um, this is the guy that the Jewish prophets have been saying for thousands of years, he's going to come, he's going to make a way for people to have a relationship with God. Um, and now it's open to everyone, not just the chosen people, like everyone now can have a relationship with their creator. Amazing. It's an invitation. I hope it's an invitation. Have I said the word invitation? Oh, there it is. Uh, we're going to read from the Bible. It's in the book of Matthew. It's chapter 19 in that book. And it's behind me as well. Uh, we're going to read from verse 16. That's big enough. It's good. You never know when you're doing it on your computer how it's going to look. But it's all right. Um, so, shall we read? Good. Thank you. So, it says, just then. That's the bit. Got. Now. Does it say now or just then? Just then. Okay. I'll read it from here. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher. What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, you shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to the disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then will there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. That's good. Amen. So here's a bit in the Bible where there's a real person asking the real Jesus us some questions. Um, I just wanted to say that because quite often when we hear Jesus speaking, he uses a parable, like a like a kind of story that represents something. Um, stories that might need a bit of context. You might need to understand how they farmed or how they saw certain things. 
um, maybe a bit of explanation to understand it. Um, but here is a conversation, just a chat between a guy and Jesus. He seems like a pretty uh, good guy. Um, he claims to have kept the law pretty well. Um, verse 20, he says, all those rules I've kept. But something is still lacking in his life. He's still missing something. He's um, Jewish, probably. He uh, has probably grown up being taught about the kingdom of God. And he's heard whisperings that, that there's a man who's bringing that now. There's a man who's bringing the kingdom of God to earth. He's, this guy's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's setting people free from demons and uh, even their sin. And this rich young ruler wants to know, what can he do to get involved in that? Um, just like this rich young ruler comes with questions to Jesus, uh, we come with ours too. And I want to explore this morning where sometimes we like miss maybe slightly um, the questions that we should be asking. Um, maybe Jesus wants to phrase them a bit differently so that we are doing our best at following him. Um, following him, we're receiving freedom, we're, we're receiving eternal life, we're receiving peace, unconditional love, profound affirmation, deep satisfaction. So there's a couple of rule, a couple of questions that I've striked through because I love a strike through. You know, they say a picture says a thousand words. I think a strike through also says a thousand words. Because you're saying it's not that thing, it's, it's other things. Anyway, so I love it. So bear with me if it's hard to read because it's struck through. But the first question I want us to challenge is, how's your rule keeping? I feel like that's a question uh, we sometimes ask ourselves. Um, so a, a social observation that I've made in my 25 years is that there are two types of chefs in the world, right? Um, this is not personal or... This is or, or like accurate personality tests. It's just an observation. Um, there's a type one chef that will search a recipe online. Um, maybe they even print out this recipe. Maybe they even highlight um, the ingredients and the exact measurements um, to the gram. They prepare the preparation area to prepare for the preparation of the preparation. They prepare because the recipe said you should probably prepare. Um, and then the recipe says chop the medium onion into one centimeter pieces. So first of all, this type of chef checks that this is a medium sized onion. So they maybe like scale it up to the other onions. Is it average, you know, somewhere in the middle? It's definitely not a small one. It's definitely not a large one. Okay, we've got a medium sized onion. And then maybe they even get out their ruler and measure one centimeter and make some really neat one centimeter slices. And then as they're slicing through that onion, they're checking regularly that they're one centimeter slices. So maybe they'll They'll randomly select a piece and line it up with the ruler and just check that's a one centimeter piece. Okay, good. So we've done that. We've cut the onion. Then it says fry in one tablespoon of oil. So they measure out their oil with a tablespoon. Put it in the pan and it says fry it until it's softened. So they like very neatly, regimentally fry it until all pieces are perfectly softened. Then, then take the pan off the heat so that they can follow instruction number two. Then it says chop garlic into very small pieces. So anyway, we go on, we go on. But say if the recipe says it takes 15 to 20 minutes, it's maybe 30 minutes till the meal's ready with that, with that type of chef. It probably tastes great. It's just like good food. Then there's a type two chef, another type of chef, which um, they quickly glance over the ingredients, quickly glance over the recipe, if, if that, and, and starts cooking. A few minutes later, a few minutes later, and lots of mess, maybe, 
but the food's ready. And if it said 15 to 20 minutes, probably done in about 10 minutes. Um, now, without revealing which type of chef I am, I would say you may you can take your guesses. Even the type two chef values rules, right? Sometimes, okay, lots of the time we we default to rules as like human creatures. That's that's what we do. It's structured, it's easy, um, and it's you know exactly where you stand because it's rules. Um, it's easily measurable. You can see what you're doing. And let's be honest, even better, sometimes you can compare yourself to how other people are doing if, you, if you've got rules. Maybe the questions, have you said lots of nice things this week? Maybe the questions, have you been a good parent? Have you read your Bible? Have you prayed enough this week? Um, have you learned enough this week? Um, and it feels like this guy in the story comes to Jesus feeling pretty good about himself. He's like, he can say yes to a bunch of those questions. He's managed to keep the rules. Um, we know that it's possible. Paul later, when he's writing a, a letter to the Philippians, talks about um, Philippians 3.6. He says, as to righteousness in the, under the law, blameless. Like, it was, you could do it. You could live by the law. But like I said earlier, the, the young man is feeling something lacking. So he's asking Jesus for uh, maybe an extra rule to fix that lacking. And we'll speak about that a bit later. But he doesn't get the response he was expecting. Can anyone relate to asking a question but not really wanting to uh, hear the, the real answer of it? Maybe the question's like, how do I look in these jeans? Or the question's, do you think I'm too old to pull this off? Whether it's like a, a hobby or um, a fashion statement or do you think I still have enough hair? That's the question. Um, and you do have some good friends and you do encounter sometimes um, some children that they just blur out the truth, right? They just make an observation, even if it's it's crushing, that the answer isn't quite what you wanted to hear. Um, but it's interesting, the commandments that Jesus picks to re- reply to the young man. Out of the ten, the ten commandments that the young man would have known super well, Jesus mentions five commands that, that cover how you interact with other people, right? He said, don't steal. That seems, seems manageable, just don't steal stuff. Don't murder also seems doable. Um, and externally, this guy has been, he's been obedient. He's seen the rules, he's followed them, but, but that's not Jesus' call. Jesus calls for obedience of the heart, not just externally. So the actual question I think Jesus is asking here, or wants us to ask ourselves as well, is how's your heart? Um, Jesus instructs the young man in verse 21. He says, let me find it. If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. So that's not a challenge to his giving. Um, This guy is a good rule-following Jew, probably would have given at least 10% of his wealth away. Um, But Jesus is like up in the ante bit. He's increasing the bar of what it takes. He's saying, sell all that you possess and give to the poor. This guy comes with uh, seemingly pretty good intentions. He wants to have eternal life. He, he's made the effort to ask Jesus about it. That might have been an embarrassing thing as well if he had some like law-following friends because Jesus was a bit of a, a rebel at the time. Um, but it's clear that he's holding on to his wealth too tight. Um, Jesus isn't challenging his wealth. He's challenging his heart, what's on the inside. Earlier in Matthew, uh, Jesus has said to a crowd, Matthew 6 verse 21, where, where your treasure lies, there your heart will be also. And Jesus is He's calling out of the young ruler now. He's saying to the young ruler, 
Your treasure is lying with your wealth. Your heart is there too. You can't follow me unless you let go of that treasure and exchange it for the treasure of following me. And I don't know if if money is where our treasure is lying. It might be um, job security or a relationship or a car or a bicycle or um, our children or something we're good at or how much we know. Um, But Jesus is inviting us to be dependent on him, to follow him um, and for our treasure then to lie in him. And, And the sweet thing is that we can have the same conversation that this young man is having with Jesus with, with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit convicts us personally of where we're holding on to stuff um, that's preventing us from following Jesus. Jesus cares so much more about our heart, and from there, that's where everything comes from. And for this young man, there was a whole bunch of his life that he was giving to God, right? He was given his time. He was given uh, time to learn the scriptures, to learn about God. Um, He was given money to help the poor. He was following the rules. All these I have kept, he says. But there was a bit of his life that he wasn't letting Jesus. There was a bit of his life that he wasn't letting Jesus' light touch. And I feel like I had a a picture when I was preparing this of like a spotlight on a stage um, that Jesus was inviting people into. Of his his light, his, his presence. Not like a harsh, intrusive spotlight that blinds you. Um, But... Um, it, spotlight of like relief, of, of warmth, of affirmation. Um, and the person who was invited into the spotlight, um, they were holding on to something which the spotlight didn't fall onto. Um, and they would, they would drag the thing that they were holding and try and drag it into the light with them, but the light would move. The, the thing that they were holding couldn't be in the light. Um, and Jesus wanted just the person in the light. They needed to let go of that thing to be in the light. So I guess that's a question for us this morning, is what do we have to let go of that's preventing us following Jesus? And the other, the other question that I want to suggest we tweak um, is, and another one that's going to be struck through, is how can I do it myself? Um, the rich young ruler speaking to Jesus, he wants a, he wants a to-do list. He asks, what good deed, what what thing must I do to get eternal life? He's looking for a quick fix to get into heaven, a a quick fix to be saved, a quick fix to be free from insecurities, a quick fix to um, no more addiction, and he wants to do it himself. Maybe if he changes the way that he did one of the commandments, or maybe he might find a new commandment, or um, something that he didn't get taught in Sunday school that's like a secret rule that Jesus might be able to tell him. Then maybe he could fix it. Maybe he's been following one of the rules wrong and he doesn't know it. So he's trying to ask Jesus, what's the, what's the quick fix? There are so many eyes in the question that he asked Jesus. Verse 16, what must I do? And then verse 20, twice, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? Who can relate to that? We we are people who want to we want to do it ourselves. We are striving for independence, we can be independent when we were created dependent. Sorry if that's a bombshell, but that's true. To be human is to depend. Um, we choose to depend on things sometimes. We depend on our jobs or the people around us. Um, but those things aren't dependable like our God is dependable. To depend on community, he's created us. That's a good thing. Community is, is God's plan for here. For us here on earth, um, 
this thing called church that we do is, is good. Let's be part of it. Let's be dependent on other people. Let's, let's ask for help. Let's accept it. I'm speaking to myself too. But ultimately, let's depend on the one who is dependable with a capital D. Is that the thing? Good. Jesus will never fail us. He is always with us. He protects us. He guides us. He provides for us. He sustains us. He brings us peace when we shouldn't feel peace. He heals. He releases. And that's what we're joining in with when we stop depending on the things that we're holding on to and go off to following Jesus. Jesus is called to follow the man in verse 21. Come, follow me. Is an invitation to is an invitation into the community of Jesus followers that, that don't hold their stuff, but are free to serve each other, to move, to follow him. And we're not dependent on our stuff anymore. Because actually throughout the Old Testament, wealth and, and great possessions were often a sign of, of God's blessing, right? If you were doing if you're doing right things by God, if you're doing keeping the rules, then then the raw the reward was physical blessing. Lots of sheep and goats and like nice clothes all that kind of stuff jesus is actually totally challenging this notion he's coming against something that that they would have thought was was how you were blessed Um, and he challenges it pretty dramatically in verse 23 if we read it says i tell you the truth it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven and jesus disciples are shocked their response in verse 25 you can see They were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? They're asking, isn't wealth God's blessing? If someone who is blessed can't enter the the kingdom, then then who can? And this is another one of Jesus's flipping everything upside down kind of kingdom announcements. What, What used to look like doing right by God is what used to look like doing right by God isn't how it's defined now that Jesus has come. Jesus is inviting his followers into um, personal inward blessing and following him where the treasure really is. And as well as looking into the heart, Jesus wants us as his followers or prospective followers to know that following Jesus and joining him with his kingdom coming isn't something we do ourselves, but it's actually something we inherit. So I think the actual question Jesus is asking us is, have you accepted your inheritance. So a little known fact, or maybe a commonly known fact, is that I spent some time growing up in a country called Tanzania, which is on the east bit of Africa. I spent some time, sounds like it was like a business trip or something, but I, I grew up there a little bit. And a common holiday pastime would be to venture to the coast and the beautiful blue seas and the sun and the white sands, um, just like Scotland. And Enjoy crab catching, swimming, sandcastle building, um, running around. But one of the absolute highlights for a six-year-old Ben was camel riding. Uh, just for, to be that small and to see a massive animal and then to think oh, I could ride one of those things was a very cool moment. But camels are, are so designed that there's a couple of things that make it a bit hard of them, hard to ride. One thing, they've got a big hump in the middle of them, right? So that makes it quite a hard thing to sit on them because you either have to be just in front of the hump or just behind the hump, or you have to put lots of padding on so that it makes a flat thing that you can sit on. 
And then the second thing is that, I don't know whether it's something to do with their knees, but the way that they stand up is one of the strangest things. I remember the first time riding a camel. You imagine, they're too high to get on, right? You'd have to like climb a tree and jump down or something if you were going to do it without them getting down. But the way that they do it is they encourage, sometimes nicely, sometimes not so nicely, them to uh, lower themselves, like lie down on, onto the sand so that their hump would be about here. And then you could clamber up and sit on it. And then you, you're, so you're sat on the camel and the camel's down on the sand and you think, okay, the camel's going to get up now. It will be kind of like a cherry picker, right? Or an elevator that you just like, you'd rise up and they'd just get up. But no, that's not how they do it. So for whatever reason, because of their knees, so I'm told, I did a bit of Wikipedia research, is that they stand up with their back legs first and then their front legs. So what happens is you're expecting just to rise up in the air, but you get catapulted forward horrible whiplash and you're hanging face to face with the camel staring it in the eyes and then eventually when it decides its back legs all the way up then it goes front and then finally you're up in the air and then they walk I'm going to get this wrong as well but I think they walk like both left legs first and then both right legs first so even when you're on it you're shaking around it's not the best form of transport but because there were no elephants around the Middle East Maybe there are some now in zoos. But at the time when Jesus was speaking about it, Jesus makes this analogy about a camel going through the eye of the needle in verse 24. He says, again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. He isn't talking about something that would be like pretty tricky, right? He's talking about the biggest thing that moves that people would have probably ever seen a camel. It's bulky. It's not very graceful. And he's talking about that thing fitting through like the smallest conceivable space that like humans would have encountered. The eye of a needle. If you've ever tried to thread a needle, it's very hard. Yep, just get your mom to do it. And there's a few thoughts that people have and have said um, maybe the gate means like maybe, maybe the eye of the needle is referring to a small gate. And it would be a tricky thing for a, for a camel to get through. Or maybe the word for a camel actually means like a thick rope. So it would be hard to get in, like that bit of rope through the needle. But I think Jesus clarifies what he's trying to say later on in verse 26 when he says, um, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. It's not just a hard thing for man to enter the kingdom of heaven and be saved. It's, it's unthinkable. Just like it's not hard for a camel to squeeze through the eye of a needle, it's, it's unthinkable. And isn't it good? It's almost a relief that this isn't something that we have to achieve on our own. If we had to save ourselves, we'd, we'd not manage. We'd try and do too much stuff or do the wrong stuff or we'd bring too much stuff or we'd just get lost on the way. It's something that's given to us. It's made possible with God. Verse 29, Jesus says, um, he says, your heart is good. You followed me and you will inherit eternal life. So a little bit more about the rich young ruler. He was young and he was rich, which insinuates. Yeah, do you see what I did there? That's quite, I dug quite deep to get that. But that insinuates the fact that he was young and rich, that he most likely inherited his wealth. 
His family was very rich um, and he received wealth because of whose because of whose he was, because he was part of that family. He received his wealth. And that's exactly how God's kingdom works as well. It's inherited, not because of what you do to deserve it, um, to earn it, but because of whose you are. You are chosen by God. You are loved by God, adopted by God. That's how you receive salvation. And and one thing to add, I'm coming to a finish soon. Um, and we'll have a time to like wait on this and have those conversations with the Holy Spirit. Um, actually, the rich young ruler only makes one mistake in his coming to Jesus, right? He's not, there's a bunch of things that you could say are his mistake, but there's one main mistake that he makes. That's that he walks away from Jesus. He's challenged and his response um, is verse 22, right? We see him. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Everything that we've spoken about um, and all that you're invited into, of course, is like a it's a personal moment of declaring Jesus's uh, being king of your life. But ultimately, it's an ongoing process where we we come back to Jesus with our stuff and we say, hey, we pick this up again. We we're still holding on to this thing. And then we ask him for help to put that thing down. 